0: This is John This is Blix This is Trav
1: And this is Jay
2: Welcome to the TriTech Games podcast Thank you for coming this week and every week to our new format Where we not only discuss Fringeworthy But we also discuss all the other games that TriTech produces Tonight we're doing something a little different This is actually a combined podcast Because the topic that we're discussing really crosses over so many different games. And we wanted to see how it could be used in different games to give you some idea of the scope of what we're talking about. And what we're talking about tonight is escaping a virtual world. You're trapped in a virtual world. How do you know that you're actually in it? How do you figure out that you're really in the matrix, let's say. So what kind of possible ways could there be and things to, to keep you from figuring it out? And of course, once you do figure it out, what are the possible ways of actually escaping from it? John, you were talking about that it doesn't always have to be like the matrix. It, it doesn't have to be a computer simulation. You were mentioning that there were some possibilities in through use of magic and stuff that you could create a virtual world. It would, probably would help if we just go through and list the different kinds of simulations
3: you could possibly run into. I mean, of course, there's the matrix. You're, you, you've been jacked into this com- made, giant computer network, and it's feeding information straight to your brain. That's one form of simulation. Then there's the Tron simulation. You are in the computer. Somehow or another, you've been turned into a computer program, and now you're in the computer. That one's actually a bit more dangerous than being the Matrix, even though, though the Matrix can kill you. In Tron, if, you're, if you're in a Tron simulation, you definitely can get killed in the simulation because you are really there. The other, of course, is, our, is the other perennial favorite of, of, of a certain TV show that had a five-year mission, the holodeck. You're in a holodeck simulation, and you may or may not remember going into it, but now you're stuck in it. and you, If you call for the Arch, you can't find it. It doesn't show up so now you got to deal with that what I, I like to I love the call it's it's a reality simulation that is uh, if you're a fan of the old TV series the prisoner the village is a form of simulation yes it has real people it has real buildings but it's constructed on a set of arbitrary rules and ways of doing things that it is for all intents and purposes a simulation even though it involves real people and real settings and and Reality, basically. Um, After that, we have... um, I like to call either magic or psychic simulations. A great example of that one is an episode from uh, Red Dwarf called Back to Reality. Characters in that episode were in a group hallucination that was shared psychically amongst themselves, so they could interact within that hallucination as though it was was real. And then finally, there's another form of simulation... And this was actually was done in the remake of *The Prisoner* in two thousand nine. It's a consensual reality, a consensual simulation, where you're still in the, your body's in the real world, but it's sort of like either through a psychic or a computer or some sort of some unknown mechanism, everyone is living in this consensual reality of or a simulation. I don't understand what you're saying. It's different from a computer simulation than in a consensual. The rules are agreed upon by everyone. Instead of being from coming from a computer program running things, all the computer or in this case, in the in the sh- in the show, it was actually was a uh, a person who was actually controlling everything. The reality is consensual. That is, it is an agreed upon reality.
0: Sort of a gestalt reality.
3: But it, in this case, there may be a controlling individual, such as in this remake of The Prisoner. There's actually one person who's actually, so to speak, dreaming it, and of course. Speaking of dreaming, and that's the final version, and we take this from the movie Inception, you're in a dream. It may be your dream. It may be someone else's dream, but you're dreaming, and you got to figure out how to wake up. This one can also be different, because this one can actually have a lot of things happening that make perfect sense within the dream world, but make no sense in, in reality. And the trouble is, if you're dreaming, it may make perfect sense to you, and that makes it very hard to determine if you are dreaming or not. Another
4: couple couple of other good examples of the dream world, um, you have the movie The Cell. You have uh, mm-hmm. Freddy, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yep. Uh, the movie Dreamscape.
3: Paprika. Uh, it's an anime movie called Paprika, which is actually a, another great one.
4: Oh, that thing was crazy. Yeah. Because that one, the dreams invaded the real world. Yeah, that, that was actually a pretty cool movie. To get ideas for dream worlds, there are ton of ideas out there. And you could blend them together, which would lead to control issues. If everybody's in the consensual one, then uh, that would be controlled by everybody. And then I guess people who, can, who know how to work the system better would have more control over it. If you're in your dream, of course, you naturally would have more control over it. And then, of course, if you're in somebody else's dream, you're more at the mercy of them, unless they don't know what, you know, they don't have any idea that they are actually hosting the dream, or don't have any skill in, in using the
0: you mentioned about combining these. Technically, the matrix would be sort of a combination because yes, it was through a computer simulation, but also the people were asleep. So technically, because the machines got into their minds and knew how to work you know, the, the gray matter in there, they were asleep dreaming, but it was in a consensual computer-generated virtual reality. So that's another form of a combination of these six that John mentioned.
4: Right. And another thing about The Matrix, where it is sort of consensual, is that the only reason things work the way they did in the movie, the only reason why certain people could do special things is because the reality of that world was based on the general reality of everybody in it. Otherwise, it would collapse.
2: It seemed to me that the computer was enforcing its rules. It said to the dreamers, who had known no other reality other than that presented to it by the matrix itself, it said, these are the rules, this is life, this is how it is. And so they accepted it as truth, and therefore they never questioned any of the rules, and they never tried to go against any of the rules.
4: Yeah, but Bruce, they they did mention, though, in the story that when they tried to deviate from a realistic environment, it, it fell apart. Like, they tried to make the world perfect for everyone, and it didn't work. They said it, it collapsed.
0: Yeah, that was the first matrix. Uh, the art, I remember the architect saying that.
4: That goes toward,
2: you know, how you would discover that you were in uh, a virtual world and how you could escape a virtual world. But initially, you know, the idea is that you're presented with a world which you find acceptable. So there's a number of conditions under which, you know, we would find uh, a virtual world acceptable. One would be where the world is so different from our own that we lose any ability to evaluate it, such as if you were in a world where there was magic. It's a virtual world, but people are casting spells and things like that, just like a fantasy story, and you're expected to believe it. As long as there's enough, let's say, mundane rules that are being followed, you know, such as gravity still works, you know, pots are hot, ice is cold things like that, then when people bring in the the fantastic, like the ability to cast spells and such, then you say, okay, well, I guess that's, there are different laws of reality going on here. And this could happen very well in Fringeworthy, because we know that there are places out there like that. Right, right. I, I do think it's important, though, as a GM, is
3: how you introduce this to your players. The standard opening to these is that they wake up. And now they're in this new reality and they're trying to remember what were we doing before we woke up. They may have false memories and planet they may not. They may just be
2: they may wake up and wonder, why am I doing this strange village? If you're totally amnesiatic, then that would actually make some a certain amount of sense because then you'd have nothing to base reality on except what's presented to you. But if you said, Well, I remember walking down the street and, and stuff like that, and then wham, I'm now in this bizarre world that doesn't that doesn't match any place I've ever seen before, then you're making it a, a lot harder to accept the reality. So the idea of them implanting some kind of a thing like a memory of an alien abduction or some portal in, in a world that has portals like Friendsworthy that you go through and you find yourself in an alien world or – you know, some kind of a ancient artifact or even an angel appearing and doing something, giving you some rationale for being in the place that's actually a virtual world, that's important for cushioning that initial connection. So you don't have to start with, the, I wake up and I don't know anything, or I wake up and it's a totally different place than I was before. The Red Dwarf episode had a great way of doing it. They were hit with this
3: neurotoxin that put them into this suggestive state where the this creature called the despair squid could control their their thoughts and their memories and what they can experience and it had them die and then they woke up out of the game console basically the game pot opened up and they were and they came out and they said ah th- you you've been doing this for the past 4 years and the game's over we are told All your past experiences was a game. One of the problems with determining, am I in a simulation? First off, you're already in a simulation. You're playing a role-playing game. So we're doing this multiple-level
2: thing here going on. Am I in a simulation? In a simulation. We can't consider that, John. I know. know, We we have to consider the information that's being given to us by the GM as far as helping us understand that we're in a virtual world, the clues that they're going to give us one of the things that keeps us from understanding immediately that we're in a virtual world is a reasonable backstory for why we're there. Yes. The second thing that I can think of is where the laws of reality don't match what we expect to be real. That's, that really makes it hard for us to believe that we're actually in a real world instead of a dream world or a virtual world uh, you know, computer system. The movie version of The Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland.
3: It was all a uh, dream, but you know, to Judy, it made perfect sense. She was in another place where magic worked, and there was things like Munchkins and uh, and wicked witches and all that stuff.
4: Well, John, I, I I don't know if that's entirely true. Maybe that's what happens when you get back from the land of Oz. Maybe she wasn't really in a dream. Maybe she was really there. When I watched it, that's kind of um, I, I kind of got a it wasn't really definitive kind of feel, but yeah. maybe that, maybe it wasn't. I mean, maybe it was just cut and dry, you know, the way the storyline was written. I think the way the
2: movie was written, you were supposed to believe that it had all been a dream at the end. Yeah. All the farm hands turned out to be her companions on the road. And, you know, everybody, you know, that she, that she had known, uh, in the, in the movie, uh, up to that point were all there, you know, in, in the actual dream fantasy world.
4: Yeah. Well, I know that, but it, it, Maybe I'm just taking it too far because I, you know, I, a lot of the modern movies today always try to leave that as a question.
2: How complicit are, is the actual participant in the, the dream reality – or I shouldn't say the, the virtual reality itself? Yeah. Is it making you generate content? Because if you are, then everything that you generate, you're going to find completely plausible and acceptable because you're doing
4: it. So we're talking about – what's that Schwarzenegger movie? Uh,
0: Total Recall.
4: Total Recall, like Total Recall, total. he wanted that to be the truth. Right. And, and you're, you're on purpose left not to know the answer. I
2: personally believe that it was a dream, and, and there was lots of evidence to support that, but I know other people believe otherwise, but that's okay. They that, did things on purpose in that movie to make it
4: questionable.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah. How did
3: his wife get to Mars
2: in less time than he did? She had a, a faster ship. That had a more expensive trajectory curve? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, they act as if he like got on the ship and the next day he was in Mars, it was probably a month later. Yeah. But you brought a good point there, Bruce. If you're in a simulation of some sort,
3: whatever it be a dream or a computer simulation or whatever, there's a gimmick in Inception. That's right. This going to be a spoiler. This is a spoiler alert. All right. Well, in, in Inception, and I said this is a spoiler. There's this thing called the totem. It's a, an object that has specific physical properties that only you know. And they use this in, in the movie as a way to determine if you're in the dream or not. The trouble is, if you know what the properties are and the object's with you in the dream, it'll probably work just
2: fine because you know what the properties are because you brought it into the dream with you. Well, the, the point here was that if the dream is entirely constructed by somebody else, somebody else is the dreamer, then yeah. it works in the sense that you, you know something about it that they don't know, and therefore you can detect when it varies from your expectations. That's correct. Uh, if, you're, if you're in a simulation,
3: a computer simulation, and you have your totem with you, well, you know, uh, that means they, they've actually scanned your body. They probably scanned the, the item, and they know where the secret is, and it'll probably
2: work just fine. If it's in the game, then it, it just depends on what it is. If it's something that's known to you, that's personal to you, yeah. then I can see where that would be a problem. Yeah. Because the computer system would therefore know about it. As you say, they would scan your clothes, they scan your belongings, so they would. Know, uh, I would think that someone would know about that. But if they weren't very smart... If they were just creating a generic world that you were in, then yes, they could pick something that was the wrong size. How heavy is a Big Mac? I don't know, but yeah. I mean I know it's at least a quarter pounder before it was cooked, but how much is it actually after you put all the stuff on it? That sort of depends on uh, who is providing the content for the dream. And most of these things when it comes down to the uh, – how to detect whether you're in the dream or not or in in the shared reality, it really does depend an awful lot on who is providing the content. I can pretty much say that if you're providing the content, then you probably won't be able to detect that you're in a virtual reality. Yeah, yeah.
0: That would be like if somebody is using your mind as the template for the dream. Yeah, well, if it's all based on what you know, even if someone else is feeding it back to you, you're going to have a very hard time picking out okay, this isn't real. Somebody else with, let's say, very little knowledge of Earth culture, let's say, oh, I'm going to use for game setting the can stop nor an incursion decide to hook you up to a dream thing. If you don't know anything about Earth culture, you're going to be able to pick out pretty quick that, okay, this is at least not Earth. You know, something's not right here.
2: And if you are in a group consensual uh, reality, Where each person is providing some of the content, then that could provide an opportunity for detecting that because someone else may not have the same opinions or or the same expectations as you do. If if your best friend uh, happens to be a kind of a a nerdy guy and all of a sudden all the women uh, start hitting on him. Is the witch filming going on there? Yeah, you might say, why is all of a sudden all the women hitting on you? And he's like, I don't know. He says, but I think it's great, don't you? If you have certain expectations on your abilities that are not actually realistic, then in much like The Matrix, where simply believing that you can do more than what The Matrix says you can do allows you to actually do it, then you might actually find yourself... Being able to overcome what would normally be a boundary for you, a, a boundary of expectations. All I'm saying, and if your friends know you well, then they'll be able to pick up on those uh, discontinuities. If you can pick it up, if it's still available out there, is The Animatrix, which is a collection of like six
3: different short films, but several of them are actually set in variations of the standard Matrix world, and they show things, glitches. You know, No simulation is going to be perfect. Even a dream, um, as you pointed out, some guy imagines himself to be a ladies' man when he's a nerd. No simulation is going to be perfect. If it's a computer simulation, there'll be various issues you're going to run into. There's no computer complex enough to simulate reality. It has to be bigger than reality.
0: Well, one of the things about the Matrix, they even said this, was that Yeah, it is still run by a computer. There are rules. The whole point of the people who were jacking in from the uh, hovercrafts was that they were able to basically do a sort of a system administration backdoor way getting in, therefore they bypassed the rules and could do all the superhuman stuff while in the Matrix.
3: Yeah. There could be also various glitches. One of the stories in the Animatrix dealt with one of those glitches where uh, a house wasn't rendering properly and thing, weird things would happen. Uh, and it, 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 I thought, you know, okay, yeah. So, yeah, you could be someplace and you run into an area where it's not being rendered properly.
2: Well, I think that would be a pretty much a guaranteed tell that you were in a virtual world.
3: Yeah, but it may only be a tell the first time you run into it. If you come back there you, with your friends, it's working just fine now. And that's usually because if you're in a simulation they're probably only simulating it for you and the rest of your team or your, or, or your friends in, in that simulation. So you'll have this focus effect at, in that things far away won't be as detailed as they are near where you are. And the closer you get to them, the more detail they get.
4: If you're going to run an adventure in a simulated world like this and you're not going to tell the characters, you're not going to tell the players mm-hmm. that their characters are in a simulated world, you've got to figure out what is the point of the adventure. Is the point for them to figure out that they're in this world and to escape? Or is the point for them to run in the adventure, and when the adventure's over, it, it will show itself automatically. So is part of the adventure them discovering it, or is it going to be handed to them? Because if they have to discover it, you have to give them something to discover. You can't make it so perfect that there's no way that they can discover it. So you're going to have to throw glitches in of some kind or another. It can't just be a fantastic world. because, uh, You know from Fringe-worthy, there are fantastic worlds. So if unless you yeah. give the player some way to determine it, there's no way they can know.
2: You're right, Blix. And that's why we're talking about this. If, if, if it's a perfect uh, world, then, yeah, they're, they're there to learn something. It's, it's They're there to like discover something about themselves. They're there to re- relive a story about a world that was destroyed, like in the Star Trek uh, episode where he spent his entire life as somebody else. And finally, at the end, the ships are taking off. And he says, yes, but this has been a simulation all along. And surely you knew that. But it was for him to understand the culture of the people who had gone on. And if that's what you're trying to do, if that's what the GM is trying to do, that's fine. Though in a game like Fringeworthy, there really is no need to do that. You could just simply put them on that world. But that was, you know, that, that was a nice tour de force for that particular character. Yeah, I agree with you that in, in what we're discussing right now, there has to be a way of discovering that you are in the virtual world. And that has to be part of it, because otherwise, as, as John you said, you got a virtual world inside the virtual world of a role-playing game. Who could possibly detect it? One thing that crossed my mind, say for incursion,
3: the Ardanu pops out in in orbit of this one world, and you go dock. You know, you go dock in that you know that place, and they're all amazed at the Ardanu. They haven't seen a ship like that in. Well, they have never seen a ship like that before. You pull in, you go out and do your things, and then the next morning you wake up and you're in a village someplace. And everyone's, everyone calls you by a name that isn't your name, and they all treat you like the best friend. And you're going, what's going on here? Well, what the, in this case, like the village in the, uh, in the prisoner, they're trying to find out how to get the ship from you. They, they tried, it didn't work, so they, they realize you have to give them the ship. And they've they got a fair way to trick you into giving them the ship. And they put you in this village, basically gets you to think that you're another person and that you have the ability to you know, transfer ownership of the ship to someone else. So that's, that could be one, per, one thing right there.
2: So you could be married to some woman named Ardonna New, and she could be a real shrill. I mean, she could be a witch. And so she treats you really badly, and the, the hope of the people is at some point she'll say, okay, I'm tired of you. I'm not putting with this anymore. I'm divorcing you. I don't, you go away. I don't want you anymore. And she goes, oh, is that what you really want? You said, yes, that's what you really want. Meanwhile, this is all being piped into the Ardana new computer system, and it's now you know, deauthorizing you as a user on the ship.
3: Or you're going to show them how to, how to get chipped. They've never seen an astounding ship before. But they've got this amazing virtual reality space, huh? No, they have a village. We're talking prisoner. You're in a village. And there's just real people there with you. And they're running you through this thing, trying to make you think you're someone else who you're not. So they can convince you to to give up the ship.
4: John, what would a tell and that be? Like, how would the person discover that they're not where they think they are?
3: I I remember being on the Ardana New just yesterday. And now I'm here in this village, I'm wearing these strange clothing, I have a wife, what's going on? I have my memories at that point.
4: Okay, so you're saying that they
2: still have their memories? They still got their memories, because they're not that sophisticated. Okay. Basically, a real world with real people, they're playing a part, and they're trying to get you to give them some information by telling you you're somebody other than who you really are, and therefore creating a virtual world by their performances. So at this point, it comes down to you breaking the identity that they've given you. Yes.
3: For a single person, that can be very hard. When you have a whole crew, if it's like, you know, you have four players, then it becomes a more or less a game of you versus them at that point. We're from the to We know we're all we're abducted by aliens, and this is
4: some, some new alien thing going on. What can we do to get out of this? I'm thinking that the way you discover that, that you are who you say you are, or who you think you are, is that at some point, one of the characters should try and go investigate. You know, you know the, the leader of this village, you know, I, I just don't believe what he's saying, or, you know, I have problems with what he's saying, and, you know, you tell the game master, we're going to sneak in, or I'm going to sneak into, the, you know, the leader's quarters when he's out doing whatever chores, churning butter, or whatever he does, and that's when he would find the computer in his closet. Dossier's. Dossiers, right, and then that's when the adventure goes into high gear.
2: Yeah, you have realize you're being played for a fool. Or they're using the wrong idioms if they're trying to simulate some known place to you. Or if they tell you, oh, I'm your wife. Okay, well, if you're my wife, then you can see how far she's willing to take the role. That, that was one of the things that people brought up in the Jim Carrey movie, was that they hired actresses to play his girlfriend and his wife that's a commitment to a role considering that they were really acting in a very married fashion to somebody who is really just their co-star. So these people have to be really committed to getting what they want. It must be really important to them in order for them to do that. And if they don't, then that's where they start getting certain kind of tells will start. If they're being forced to do something that they really want to do, if you start pushing things to their limit, if you start acting mean to people, if you start acting aggressive, how are they going to react? They can't throw you out of their society. They need you. You know, you start saying, well, how come they're not willing to get rid of me? Can I go on a hunger strike? Will they let me do that? We're assuming that you suspect that things may not be as you think they are, then you have to start looking for those limits. This is a real world, so therefore, all the physical laws are going to match. But. You can start checking out the dossiers. Oh, you were a a handball player, really? Well, let me take this ball. Let me see if I can actually hit, you know, with my hand a ball against the wall with any kind of accuracy. Oh, I used to run a mile a day uh, with these stick legs and this pale skin. The underside of my arm has never seen the light of day for twenty years. And you say I've been outside, you know, being part of a sports team? Yeah. You, know, this, you you can examine your own body for things that don't match up the way it should be matching up to somebody who's been engaging in those activities.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Let's take it the other, other route. You're in a computer simulation of some sort, either a holodeck where you're physically there, but everything else is fake, or you are in a computer simulation being piped into your head.
2: What can you do there? Since it is an alternate reality, that's where you can actually start testing
4: the physical laws. So how do you know that you, that you should be testing the physical laws? Because things just don't seem right. Like, for example, the, the Matrix. That was like a normal world. They said that
2: this, you knew. So the, the people who were in the Matrix knew that there was something wrong. So they had the opportunity then to go start testing their world to see you know, what
4: actually was going on. I guess it would, it would really depend on the, on the medium, or the game that you're using, the system, the setting that you're using. So, for example, if, if you're using Fringeworthy, how I would do that is when they step through the portal, there was a you know a machine set up to transfer you directly into a matrix-like setup, or or maybe when you step through, uh, robots gate grabbed a hold of you, injected you with a, a drug that would you know basically make you forget the last like 15, 20 minutes, like Rufinol or something like that, and then they would hook you up to this machine so that when you wake up, say you're in a hospital room or something, and they say yeah you. You you stepped out into the street and um, uh, passed out, and we rushed you here, and you know blah blah blah. And then you think you're on this world, and you think everything's normal, but you're actually in a simulation.
2: Right. Or it's a problem portal, and you just got caught on fire, and you've got third degree burns over all your body, and they plugged you into some kind of a virtual world so that your mind
4: won't be suffering all the pain of your body healing. Sure, yeah, okay. There's that, and then there's also the mind transfer.
0: I was maybe. just thinking that the mind transfer could be used through some type of simulation.
4: Right. Maybe you step through, and that portal's been been purposely set up to do a mind transfer. And the only thing on that world is a computer bank. And maybe the Tamalans mm-hmm. set it up as a. Uh, they could have even have set it up as a a play world, like you know, like a recreational world. It's made for you to go through, and it stores your body in that you know that inner space, transfers your mind into this computer bank. And then when you're ready to go, when you figure out that you're in a simulation and you're ready to go, uh, it'll drop your mind back into your body and dump you back out onto the platform.
3: If, of course, everything's working correctly. Yes, provided it's working correctly. This is the adventure, this thing's been sitting
4: there for, oh, a thousand years, yeah. and it's gone a oh, little potty. Well, here's the other problem with that. <laughs> if the Tumalan built it for that purpose then they're assuming that you know you're doing this. So they may not have any way that's easy to figure out to figure out that you're in a simulation and jump back out because you're supposed to know that you're in a simulation. Mm. So figuring it out might be way more difficult. I'm just saying it'd be very difficult because you're supposed to know that you can jump out anytime you want. But you'd have to figure that out first. So that would be a cool way to run that. And and that's just from a fringe-worthy perspective. Like, how would you guys do that, say, in Bureau 13? There's
3: many ways of doing it. I mean, you could be jacked into some supercomputer that is trying to learn about the Bureau or is trying to... You have information it wants, and it's going to try its very best to get the information out of you somehow. But somehow or another, all it can do is interface with your senses. It can't interface with your mind. Therefore, you're in this simulation.
2: There could be some kind of psychic uh, parasite who is putting you into this dream world while it feeds on you uh it, it could be feeding on other people and you show up and it just tries to incorporate you into into the reality that these other people are are believing
4: imagine some kind of like cthulhu tech imagine you have a a computer but the computer is sort of like the body of a, of a cthulhu tech squid so it has all these cables these biomechanical cables that come off of it and imagine the party comes in the room to attack this thing and they start to fight it, and every person who gets hit with one of these cables, the DM says, or the Game Master says, I'll get back to you. Until it eventually, you know, the goal was to get everybody, you know, uh, hooked into one of these cables. And then the Game Master says, all right, you guys all wake up. And basically, you're in a virtual world inside of this computer bank in this Cthulhu creature-like thing.
1: This brings up a, a real side issue that uh, we may want to talk about later. How many of the pocky stops on the Fringeworthy system are actually psychically induced virtual worlds and don't actually exist at all?
2: Well, in some ways you wouldn't be able to tell, like we said. But in fact, is if the idea is for you to discover that as part of the adventure, then there's got to be tells. There's got to be some way for the GM to pass on that information to you, for you to deduce. If you're in one of these virtual realities where either the entire world has been is being generated through a holodeck or through your some kind of a domination of your mind, like the matrix or a psychic projection, then what I was suggesting is, is that the first thing I would do once I thought that maybe I was in something that wasn't real would be to start testing the physical laws. The trouble is it may be that it follows,
3: say, Newtonian physics. So, yeah, no problem. You know, it, it, everything works. But you know, it doesn't follow Einsteinian physics, which at that point you, you would need to build yourself some stuff, some really weird stuff. Though there are some things you could try. I mean, being a geek, I know a few tricks you can try pulling to see if you, you can determine if you're in a virtual world. One is really simple to do, is the um, double slit experiment.
1: That'll tell you some stuff about quantum physics, all right. Um, I was also thinking hardwired hinterlands. You're on effectively a very, very flat plane with 200 by 200 mile squares separated by 200 miles of ocean. Yeah, I would start building double slits and trying to build, uh, try to put together an atom smasher myself because, you know, there's just no way this isn't going to work.
2: Right. Or you could be on a virtual reality uh, that was somehow on NORAM, for example, which is the uh, futuristic uh, environmental island that they have.
4: If you're in a dream world... Another test you can do is you, you can try and read a book because one of the things that's notoriously telling if you're in a dream or not is when you open the book and you try to actually read – Or it doesn't have to be a book. It can be anything has text. You try to read it and the text starts to blur out. It doesn't happen every single time, but it is no, it's one of the tells of being in a dream.
3: Yeah, though I've had dreams where I'm busy working on a computer program and it's like, oh, and, but, but you can't get nowhere. You end up in this loop where you try things and it doesn't work. It should work. I keep doing things that don't work and you realize I'm in a
4: dream. I'm dreaming. Oh, okay. That's why it's not working. I am caught myself in a loop. If you're trying to test it, what you do is you pick up a book you've never read before. Yeah. A book you know you don't know the contents of. So when you open it up, you're pretty much not going to find anything in there because you don't know what's supposed to be in there. But, I mean, if you, like, pick up a book that you're intimately familiar with or one in school papers that you wrote, that's not going to be as good as, you know, picking up, uh, like, for me, like, War and Peace. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that.
3: If you're in a dream, there's some things that happen in dreams, in particular to dreams, such as travel. I'm here in Seattle. Then The next thing I know, I'm, I'm sitting in a bar with, with Peter in... Aberdeen. I know, in the back of my head, I flew here and I got a cab and got to this bar, but, you know... I don't remember actually doing that.
1: I know for me, one thing that is a real red light for lucid dreaming is things that are fictional behave as though they are real. I've had phasers and tricorders from Star Trek acting real in my brain, and that's when I know, you know, they're heavy, they work. It's because I'm that big a geek, I know what to expect from them. My subconscious can't tell the difference. So it says, oh, okay, it's a real phaser, even though I've never seen one in real life. We're not evolved to be able to tell fiction from television from stuff we're seeing. And so, um, if, if somebody's trying to feed you a dream and control a dream you're in, uh, you're, they're going to have no filter for fictional things you like crawling in there. Blix has mentioned uh, books that you like. Well, if you pick up a book that you really like and find the characters from that book standing next to you, it's because you like them that much. Part of you thinks they're real somewhere, and it will bring them in. And if this thing thinks that a lucid dream is going to be a viable substitute for reality, it's not going to be able to tell that you don't know that guy. That you don't really experience, you know, James Bond in real life. And so when James Bond starts showing up and says, what are you reading, then? That's when you go, okay, something's really up here.
3: Or TV characters suddenly appearing as themselves. You know, Captain Kirk is here. Not William Shatner. Captain Kirk is there. Being played by... It's William Shatner. No, I mean, Captain Kirk. He looks like William Shatner, but he's not. He's Captain Kirk.
1: Because in the dream, either that or his features keep flipping between William Shatner and Chris Pine?
3: No, in my head, he stays he stays William Shatner. He may get fat and bald,
2: but he may, he'll be William Shatner. <laughs> One of the things that can happen is time compression. Uh, you kind of talked about it when you talked about how you go and you find yourself talking to Blix... But you know you had to travel there and you knew you flew or something like that. It seemed like it happened a little too fast. In the book Steel Beach which takes place on the moon after aliens have taken over the Earth, and so the only place left for humanity is on the moon. Uh, At one point, one of the characters is placed into an artificial reality, and they actually are on an island, and it's like Robin Caruso. It's a great dream, and and for the longest time, she believes it. But then she suddenly realizes that she has built an entire hut with a, a veranda, and she's got a working kiln. And she's got like you know a, a pleasure boat down on the beach, and she's done this in like three months. Yeah,
1: that's a lot of work in three months.
2: That was the point. See, the computer it wasn't actually trying to plan out every second of that. It was it was giving that to her as part of her backstory, and so it didn't actually calculate how long a lazy human would take to actually do all those things. And so it said, well, I guess you could do it in about three months. And it made a guess at it, and she was able to realize that, no, that's not possible. You can't write an entire novel in the space of a month. Well. Wow. Normal people can't.
1: Isaac Asimov could do it in an afternoon with breaks to go chasing after people. There's another writer I'd like to mention is James P. Hogan. He has a couple of different virtual worlds in his books. And
3: The space station one was great.
1: Yep, there was another one. When they decided to take a trip, everybody started going, no, let's not do that. And really pushing back pretty hard, and they started to go, hey, wait. And when they did take a trip somewhere else, it was a very strange place because... Only one other computer computer uh, group in the world had computers big enough to simulate even a fraction of a world, and it was someplace in Japan. And he noticed all the people were moving in perfect unison, and it was really sort of strange. And then the AI did not know ethics, so the AI was watching the people in the VR for how it should have its NPCs behave, and while they did not know... They were behaving normally. Everybody was behaving normally. When somebody started to suspect, he walked around just blowing NPCs away at random, and the other characters in the sim started behaving that way, and things broke pretty badly. But James B. Hogan has a lot of that, where a computer or a new intelligence of some sort has to learn ethics on the fly. You can't yeah. build it in. You have to you have to show it by example.
3: I was just mentioning the other one I love was the one with, where the Soviets had launched a, a uh, orbital station. And what they never told anyone was that it failed. But they b- ended up building a fake one on the ground. It was an orbital station. It spun around. But it spun around in such a way that it would generate 1G at an angle from from the spin rate. So everyone would be on board would actually feel like they're being spun around, not realizing that
2: they're on the ground. So this is another prisoner simulation.
4: Yeah, can we go back to the, um, the computer simulation real quick? Some of the things that you could do if you're in a computer simulation to determine that you are in one is that you could look over a large crowd of people and try and pick out patterns of people because uh, computers inherently will, will utilize the same people over and over again and just place them in randomly in large groups. And you'll see this in movies where they've done a lot of CGI and they have like whole armies of people moving. If you watch mm-hmm. it close enough, long enough, and you train yourself, you can actually start seeing that there's only, like, really 20 people in that scene. 20 individuals. Everyone else is just a copy of them.
3: Yeah, trouble is, as soon as you just start focusing on one group, the computer goes, oh, they're focusing on these people. I better do a bear simulation now.
4: Well, that's if it has the ability to do that. It may not have the ability to do that. It may not be reading your mind. No, but it can see where your focus
1: is, though. It can see where you're looking. Or it may have a lead time to, to generate and animate a crowd. The James P. Hogan book that I was referring to is called uh, Real-Time Interrupt.
3: I play a couple uh, online simulation games. One is called World War II Online. There's definitely a focus factor going on there. When you're walking around, everything within a certain distance of you is very well rendered, very well detailed, but farther away, the detail goes away. In fact, you can see grass growing as you walk up to it. In that game. Now, of course, in a much bigger and better simulation, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be more like Avatar, where things are well detailed. But the thing is, the detail in far distance is never going to be as good as the stuff up close. But it doesn't have to be, because your eyes can't resolve that. That's true. But the detail may not be fixed. That is, it's being generated randomly or, or fractally or something like that, which means it's never, it will never be rendered the same way twice.
1: There's kind of a haze and a fog out in the middle distance. It makes it look really cool, but if it's always there, you know it's a rendering trick to cut down on the CPU time.
3: Talking about the fractal rendering, you know, I walk up, and look at a tree, I see a bark pattern. I walk away, I come back, there's a bark pattern. It looks the same, but it's not. There's some differences. And if you keep coming back, you start realizing it's being rendered every time you come back there. Re-rendered and It's being re-rendered fracturally, which means it'll be random in various details and things will come and go as you look as you come back and look at it close up. We're
4: also looking at giving people though ideas for tells to give to give the players tells. So that's a good tell, you know, if somebody decides like you don't have to tell them that. You can you would yep. you would reveal that to them if they start asking about it or they start You know, they they try to look, or it's getting too late in the evening, and you're like, all right, make a perception check. For another tell, in that same vein, you could do a sprite-like thing. So as the person's looking at a tree, he goes around the tree, and the bark pattern never changes. So it's always the same, no matter what angle he looks at it. You know, that would be a good tell. You spill some salt, and the salt falls out in this really regular pattern. Or here you go, check this out. You go to a McDonald's, and you get a hamburger, right? And it's a good one. And it's a good one. Well, <laughs> there's a good tell. But you look at that burger and you go there and you get another burger and it looks exactly the same. Like the lettuce is coming out in the same way. And then you're like, wait a minute. You order another one. It comes out exactly the same. Or
3: so you don't notice. But every time, no matter what time of day you go there from opening to closing,
4: it's the same people behind the counter. Right, right. <laughs> and they, they start yeah. the conversation out the same way. So that's another good good tell right there. If you want to give stuff away, you start conversations with random people, and you start getting canned answers for the same questions.
2: Yeah, it sounds like most of the role-playing uh, computer role-playing games I've played. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most irritating things I've run into in Fallout Three is where suddenly, because you're doing nice things, you'll have someone run up to you, and they'll say. I can't tell you how grateful I am for all the things you've done. I just wanted to give you this. And they give you some random object that is, is of some value as, as an act of appreciation. And then you go over here and you click on them. Uh, and they say, I have nothing to say to you. Why don't you leave me alone? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so where's all that gratitude now?
3: Why? Why are you being put in have hit We've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's usually – one or two things, I imagine. One, they want to get information from you. You have information they need, and they're, they're trying to pull information from you, and or you're trying to pull information you know, from the characters for some reason. Or two, you're stuck in someone's broken game.
2: Well, wait a second, John. I, I think you're being way too limited here. Okay? You said they want information. There's a lot of other things that they could want from you. They could want you to be a breeding site for their young. Uh, they could want to use your body as some yeah. kind of a as an engineering production system for various chemicals
1: I think this goes back to when you're a GM and when you're a storyteller yeah if you're going to put a virtual world in there it has to have a purpose it has to be doing something there and it has to be doing something related to the characters yeah. but What it's doing related to the characters. Or maybe it's a honey trap. Maybe it's a place where they go and you ask them, hey, this is really cool. Do you want to leave it or do you want to stay? Kind of a flypaper thing. There's something bad happening here. Okay. Now you have to figure out how to get out. But, you know, that doesn't mean that that's germane to any of them. That's just the storytelling part.
2: Right. It could be a morality test. Yeah.
3: If we're talking Bureau 13, uh, you're agents. And there's some person out there invading people's dreams. What you're trying to do is catch them and stop them. Trouble is, you have no idea who the person is, but you know who they're targeting in terms of invading dreams. Now you need to contact the bureau and say, uh, Robertson, do you have anything that lets us enter dreams? And he goes and smiles at you and rubs his hands together and says, I have just the thing for you. The purpose of the simulated world is actually to make you friendly.
1: It's a contact mechanism.
3: Yes. Yeah, it's a first contact mechanism. Because they're not human. They're not even remotely human. But they decide they're going to do the simulation, so you get used to the, and, the, and as the simulation goes along, they start revealing themselves as, they, as it goes along for what they really are and what they really look like.
1: Well, that, if you could do it, that would be a low-risk way to do it because if it doesn't work, you know, you unplug your test subjects and run away and they never get to blow anything up. My best friend and favorite GM, uh, Dennis Washburn, He used a kind of a a set of virtual worlds as magical locks for a magical vault. And they were ethical questions. You'd find yourself in this place, and you'd have an ethical question. Do X or Y, depending on your ethical code. And if your ethical code matched what the original uh, setter of the vault had in mind, then you'd get through that simulation successfully, and you'd unlock a piece of the door. He put up seven of those, and I've been looking for things like that ever since, because I thought that was a really cool idea. But it's hard to find those kind of Plato-esque, people of McCabe kind of ethical questions set up anywhere in really clear terms. In this case, they were keys. They were a filter. People with one idea got through. People with other ideas were rejected.
3: And also, depending on the little technology, this thing that the players themselves can do so if you're as a GM, you, you, know, you, you, you set up a, a scenario where the players need to get something from somebody. And they say, well, wait wait a second. We got this weird piece of uh, equipment for NORAM or from this one where we visit that lets you create a virtual world. Hey, let's do a virtual world and convince this person here. And so, so basically the players end up GMing the GM. I think
4: it's timely that we're speaking of this on this discussion because the when this goes out to the to listeners when when you're listening to this Tron will have will either be on the cusp of coming out or will already have have just come out.
0: Oh yes, it's very timely.
2: Yes. Is,
4: and I have to say I'm a super uber geek fan of Tron. I've been following everything that's been going on with this. Have you already bought your IMAX tickets? I have not bought my IMAX tickets yet. I could have when I went to the premiere, I went to this twenty-minute premiere thing. It was called Tron Night, mm-hmm. and I got to see twenty minutes of the movie already—different parts, different scenes. Yeah, and uh, that was pretty cool. I thought they were going to do more, but they didn't.
1: Dennis is bouncing up and down about the movie, about those same way like this. He's all
4: ooh-hoo Tron, right, right. And this is—I haven't been excited about a movie in a very, <laughs> very long time, and it just—it's—it's uh, kind of cool. But but anyway. I thought about how interesting it would be to do a Tron type setting for Fringeworthy, and I was trying to think of what the best way for that would be because there's, there's all kinds of ways you can approach it. You know we could approach it as, as an other. Like when you step through, you become a program. And, and it could be a pocket stop. It could be a big pocket stop. We could approach it as you go into a world and you get sucked in the same way they do in Tron. Some machine you know turns you into a turns you into a program. Um, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? What would be your favorite way? I, I'll tell you mine first, and then you know we can go around and, and see what you all think. Personally, I would like it as if it it was it'd be like another type of either problem portal or it was programmed to do this for some reason, which you know we touched upon before, where when you step through the portal, you appear in this world as a program, and it was set up to do that, and you really are in. Uh, a simulated you know the simulated world and if you get derezzed you're dead
1: maybe it's a it's a sort of an interface for another device that somebody was trying to fix using this kind of uh, virtual world interface and it got them and left us and was left running and the trick is to try to fix the machine to stop this deadly problem and then once you do that you're popped back out on the fringe pass with a nice happy thank you you fixed the problem and you know the GM, what the problem would be.
3: So there's an MCD out there you
4: gotta go against. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I'm wondering, Jay. Does that mean that any other adventurers who go through that portal after that, what would happen with them?
1: Now, here's the thing. I'm imagining it like this. Okay, I've got a machine that's profoundly broken, and I can't touch it on the level that I need to touch it to fix it. Right. So what I do is I put it in an interface with the Fringe Pass system. And then I go to the fringe passage and then say, you see this portal? This portal goes to a virtual world that interacts with my broken machine. And it has these qualities and does these things so that when I go in, I can see my problem better. And then when I do X, Y, and Z, I can fix it. I go in and go, oh, that's a bunch of different problems than I thought. So then somebody else comes along, goes into that portal. They wind up in that interface with that machine left running. They're confronted with the situation and having to fix it. So, what would the Fringe Path do once the purpose for that particular portal and virtual gate was completed? If I were GMing it, I would have the Fringe Path system know that it was an interface to a device, and in and once that problem was resolved, I would just have either the portal turn off or have it be reallocated randomly or recallocated specifically to either lead to the device or lead to another world that the fringe path system thinks that people need to go to. But I tend to assume that the fringe path system is a more active participant in what it's doing.
3: Here's a thought that crossed my mind, is that the device that you're going to is the portal. You're going into the portal operating system.
1: Then if it's broken, and you're trying to fix it, yeah, that's a problem. But then, when you repair it, then you're no longer going to the portal portal OS interface world. You're going to where the portal originally was supposed to go to, but where it broke.
4: Right. That would make sense. No, I, I like that, John. Actually, that's really cool. You know, you, you step through and you're actually in the software of the French portal interfacing with the AI itself. And that, honestly, you could make that a really good later campaign, like a much later campaign yeah. game, because that's where the players could find out some really good information. Where's T-prime? Yeah. Or whatever whatever information you've been holding back and you want to kick the adventure into, like, overdrive. So I'm going to take the rails off this train. I'm going to let the players really start getting deep into understanding what's going on with the French paths. Maybe now I'm going to let them find their Terminal learner, Or maybe I'm going to let them find... Some world that has a lot of answers for them. Or maybe that's where they find out about the fringe train or something. But that's where you could give the players some really good, juicy stuff.
1: Everything they learn about that particular world will be applicable to other portals. Mostly, except for the problems or except for the other invaders who came through and got stuck there.
3: Yeah, and the avatars, the avatars are based on the race that originally wrote those various subroutines. Most of them are going to be avatars of Timelon. Occasionally, you'll get some strange avatars going, you know, there may even be one or two key gacks in there, too.
1: Or they may reflect <laughs> what the players expect to see back at them, and they may all look human until after they understand what they're dealing with more. Weren't you a human last time I came through? Yes, but now you know I'm a keygack.
4: Right. <laughs>
1: if you like my body and you think I'm sexy, yoohoo. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. You know, it would probably be. Uh, sort of a what-you-expect-to-see kind of thing. But would it be very obvious that you're in a Tronverse versus you're in a real world? No, I would make it very obvious, because I think that's where a lot of the fun lies. And, and another reason why you make that late campaign is because the characters are, are very skilled in a lot of things, so you could actually put them into games or something like that, and, and they could actually survive it.
1: Okay, so I ride the motorcycles, and eventually I explode. I thought this was a virtual world where things are different. I ain't playing.
3: But uh, do you have user access, like Flynn did in Tron, or are you just another program? Depends on the game master. And it
2: also depends on the needs of the adventure.
1: I think going from program access to user access would be one of the first parts of the big quest in order to fix the problem.
3: And actually, Flynn had programmer access, if you think about it.
1: No wonder Tron knows all about this game. Get out of my computer, you. That maniac has root. That maniac has root.
3: <laughs> There's the other one, too. A blast from the past is Reboot.
1: Also, there is a D20
0: game by Fantasy Flight Games. It is known as Virtual. Basically, you play a computer program to go throughout the digital world, which is an analog of the real world, and stop a certain computer from starting nuclear war in the real world, which would destroy both what they call program and user space.
1: I love- My name is A.S.A. I am from Microsoft. (laughs) Uh,
2: There was actually a role playing game out there some time ago where you played people who competed with other people in a virtual world. So you had one layer which was your character in the game who lived in this futuristic world but then you'd be plopped into a computer scenario where you could be a knight or you could be a a pilot or you could be a gangster and then you had your character assume those personas while being a persona of the original role-playing character
1: most people are going to find that a bit of a stretch. i mean if you wanted to go really insane with it you could have running man Meets Westworld meets Tron.
2: I, I think the point of the game was for you to develop a very strong social relationship with the other players, okay? With the other uh, yeah, as as characters in the the top layer, but then you'd find yourself in harsh competition with each other when you went into the virtual world. So you could be friendly on one level, but at the same time, cutthroat, cut, competitive on another level.
1: The Prisoner's Dilemma, the role-playing game.
2: Actually, I'm thinking of Dream Park, the role-playing
3: game that was put out years ago. You're playing people who are playing characters in a the game. There's another choice for this. You willingly go into the virtual world. You know. Hey,
4: John, was was Dream Park, was that an art game? Yes, it was. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. That's,
0: yet another one. This is from actually a... Dungeon Magazine, issue 105 from December 2003. It was created by the creator of Eberron, Keith Baker. It is called DeathNet. You are playing in a VR game and you are trapped in your icon in a virtual world. Ooh. It is, starts on page 74 of that issue. I have it here in my hot little hand. Yeah, so that if you want to go digging through back issues of uh, Dungeon Magazine, that is yet another example of mm-hmm. characters trapped in a virtual world.
3: It was an old Judges Guild magazine, I can't remember the name, but this is back in 84. But someone did an adventure where it's you're in Monty Python and the Holy Grail.
1: <laughs> I get thrown out of games for playing that.
2: This is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John
3: Ryer saying, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in.
4: And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.
1: This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is
0: Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming it's for having fun. Commons license 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook.